lovely, it's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience, can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is Spiritual Atheist. You might be thinking right now, do the words spiritual and atheist belong together? Don't they seem like they might be on opposite sides of the spectrum of life? And actually, I have to say, I had the same thought myself when I first saw it, and it made me super curious about my guest today. I wanted to know more, so we're going to dive into it. You know, there's a time in many people's lives where we question our own happiness, like what will ultimately make us happy? And I've seen many transformational journeys unfold in the lives of my clients based on the question, what's going to make me happy? And then the next question, how do I figure that out? And my guest today was basically unable to find lasting happiness. That's always the beginning of a good journey. And he came from a religious background. He couldn't find happiness there. He couldn't find happiness in, as he puts it, reason, right? Or the logical mind. And the constant search for happiness led him towards many methods, trying to answer his own inner burning questions. He tried therapy, partying, pills, wealth, success, and entrepreneurship, and none of those satiated his quest. So after becoming depressed and being diagnosed with fibromyalgia, he finally discovered the life-changing benefits of spiritual enlightenment. And he spent years meticulously joining the dots between the scientific traditions and the wisdom traditions to form a practical life philosophy for the 25% of people who say they are spiritual but not religious. So award-winning thought leader, author, and professional speaker, Nick Jenkel joins me on the show today. He's the author of Spiritual Atheist, in which he shares a really powerful and profound story of transformation in his own life that's very deep and very personal. He has advised organizations like 10 Downing Street, Kellogg's, HSBC, Microsoft, and WWF. A former elite scientist and medic, Nick's brings the latest science to his work, cognitive, behavioral, emotional, interceptive, and then he blends it with timeless wisdom and uber practical tools for change. He spent over 30 years developing an advanced brain-based transformational methodology, which he calls the switch-on way, which provides a rigorous and proven path for unleashing transformation in any area of leadership or life. He's highly accomplished. He's an international keynote speaker who has spoken all over the world to audiences at Lego, Google, Kellogg's, Smuckers, and Fujitsu, just to name a few. And today, he's here with us. With no further ado, the insightful Nick Jenkel. 
Nick, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk about your new book, Spiritual Atheist. But before we dive into the book, too, you have a really awesome website um, <laughs> on now. And I just wanted to have you talk a little bit about um, the transformational work that you do and what you offer there. And then we'll kind of dive into the specifics of the book. Great. So the main um, things I do are... Um, I guess teaching people how to transform themselves and the organizations or systems they're part of. And when I say transformation, I mean lasting, sustainable, positive change. Um, and I do that in organizations in the form of leadership development and change and keynote, well, a keynote speaking. And then I also work with individuals, um, not so much one-on-one -on -one anymore, uh, but in uh, intensive experiential music with dance and and uh, music and uh, meditation and and um, uh, teaching people a process for for transforming any pain any suffering any stuckness so that's the kind of so my world is really about teaching people a, a process and a set of tools to reliably transform old things old stuff that aren't working um, into things that help us fit the world better as the world changes Mm. I love that. And you talk about the digital world that we live in, which I love that you address that and how stressful it can be. Mm. And I just think, you know, there's no more ripe time that we need tools for how to, you know, we are in a quickly evolving world. Can you talk Absolutely. a little bit about your vantage point on that? Well, so I talk about three major issues uh, that we all face and no one can escape these really so we can either look at them as threats um, or opportunities uh, so I call it the triple threat or the triple opportunity a little nod to Hollywood there where a triple threat is uh, someone who can sing act and dance um, so the triple threat that I see we all have to face is um, a rapidly multiplying world of exponential technologies so um, I mean everything from internet of things AI, machine learning, automation, robots, blockchain, um, 3D printing, 3D printing of, of, of cells, of biology. I mean, it's crazy what's going on. And it's all about to hit us in the next 10 years, you know, fundamentally change pretty much everything we do. Um, that's the first threat or opportunity. The second one is um, societal disruption. So massively changing cultures, generational changes, which you can see across the world um, are causing quite a lot of problems. You know, you've got baby boomers who just don't get sort of 25-year-olds and what they want and need. And then the third sort of facet of this age is what I call despair or stress or damage. And it's things like global warming, climate change, um, extreme weather, pollution, um, depression, anxiety, um, stress. These real shocks to our system um, which are coming along at the same time as the technology. So it's a really you know, fascinating time to be alive. And um, it asks, I think this time we're in asks a lot from us. And that's really the start point of all my work is how do we step up to what the age that we're in demands? That's really powerful. And what do you think... What do you think, like, I mean, I feel like we're at this convergence point with everything that you are talking about. And what do you think is the core thing that we need to step up to this, to look, to have it be an opportunity for us? Ah, well, 
that's the kind of core of, of my teachings in transformational leadership. So what I think is the core is um, ultimately around purpose. And so that means serving a, um, a cause that's bigger than us, um, which I only know as purpose. It's the only thing I've found that's bigger than the fear uh, and the craziness and the change and the chaos. And when I say purpose, I don't mean just a kind of mission statement on the wall. I mean a deeply felt sense of our spiritual connection, our love for the world coming out in what we do. So we have a life purpose. And then within that, we have nested leadership purpose. And then ideally, we have a business purpose. And that, I think, is the start point to realize that, yes, this is a crazy time. We have a lot of risks, existential risks to our species that are coming online. And yet, when we know things are breaking down, that things can break through, new stuff can come through. But the first start point is not to be terrified and not to run for the hills and try and stock up on food and money and land and all the things we think we need as an individual. The, 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 the task is to, to transcend that and go, okay, how do I serve my community, my species, my ecosystem? Um, which is a very profound experience of, of, of purpose. And therefore, part of, of the reason why I teach what I teach and why this book is called Spiritual Atheist is I don't believe you can have purpose without a profound spirituality. And that's not always a um, well-liked statement. Um, but I believe purpose is inherently a spiritual quality. Oh, I love that. I agree with that. And let's talk about the book because, you know, certainly the title, like turns your head and goes, hmm, what's this, right? <laughs> and I love the title. And, um, you know, before we even dive into what's in the book, you tell your story really deeply and openly, which I think is beautiful, of your journey to finding that purpose and meaning in life. And can you share a little bit about where where this began for you, like, so without going too much into the content of the book, like the basis of your exploration and why you felt like you needed to explore. So I basically can trace out in my life experience what you could call a double conversion. So my first conversion was from a, a religious, I wouldn't say I was massively religious, but I was brought up in a religious uh, community, uh, a Jewish community. And Around the age of 15, I firmly decided that those religious rules and the old rituals and the, and, the, and the book just didn't seem to be relevant to me, didn't seem to have nutrition for my um, suffering soul, for want of a better word. And uh, around the same time, I really got into science and I decided at that time that atheism, what I would call old-fashioned atheism, sort of cynical atheism, was a better place for me. So I, that was the first conversion. And then I ran my life with an atheistic, science-loving life philosophy for about 15 years, became very successful in, in most people's idea of success. And then, um, so after studying science at Cambridge and getting, you know, what you would probably call um, summa cum laude, uh, like top of, top of the class, ended up setting my own business up in the dot-com times, became on paper very wealthy, had staff, had lots of respect, newspaper articles, etc. And that was about 15 years of, of running this atheist model in my head, which really works in many areas. Um, science is great for some stuff. 
and then around my 29th birthday uh, or my 30th year, it all came kind of tumbling down. And um, I realized that what I tried, which is wealth, success, um, fame, uh, drugs, partying, they'd all helped me in some way, but they hadn't solved my fundamental disjointedness inside. And um, I had to, I engaged in another conversion when I became profoundly spiritual, but it was actually very difficult because I had to let go of all my opinions and beliefs about mysticism and spirituality and new age stuff. Some of which I still don't, I'm not a massive fan of um, because I think they cloud the issues, but I had to let go of all that to dive into this spiritual piece. And then over the last 10 years, realizing that you can't either be scientific or spiritual you need both in your life. You need to understand what science is and what it can and can't do, which is what I explained in the book. Um, you can't fight what you don't have understanding of. And also there's no point fighting things that are actually really helpful. Um, and science can be very helpful. And when I say science, I mean data, evidence, um, you know, data and algorithms, everything that comes with numbers and, and rational measurement and stuff. Um, but that's not, not enough to live a successful life in the sense of Success, meaning inner peace, purpose, love, connection, beautiful relationships, beautiful friendships, children that you adore and adore you. So you need spirituality for that. <clears throat> and, and that the book is really about how you bring them together in a very practical, profound way in everyday life. And share a little bit about um, what when you first started to have this worldview of materialism, right, basically, and and that started to break down for you or it wasn't working for you anymore, and the, the spiritual aspect, maybe you saw a doorway or something. Can you talk about, like, what that transition was like for you? Well, I wouldn't say it was pleasant. And that's <laughs> one of the things that I'm sort of here to do is trying to help people have make it a bit more pleasant. Um, I have a very, one of my principles is, we are all called to return to connection, to love. But if we don't listen to that call, um, we will start, be, start being given sort of messages in increasingly tough ways. Um, and the most tough ways are despair, depression, chronic issues, illness, anxiety, um, relationships imploding, careers imploding. So all of those kind of hit me at the same time. I... Um, the girl I was going out with, uh, I was engaged to, it just sort of imploded. Uh, my business was very successful, but I was just burnt out like a wreck and I wasn't really liked by my staff. I was crazy high excellence levels and, and you know, kind of Silicon Valley style um, energy. Um, I had chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, sorry, chronic pain syndrome called fibromyalgia, which some people will know about. Um, I'd be in and out of chronic depression, anxiety, you know, literally all of the systems that the universe or your internal universe can give you to say, dude, or do that, something is not working in your inner realm of things, in your way of understanding the world. They all kind of started blinking at the same time. And thankfully, I took that final message and I have never had really any crises since then. Um, but now what I try and do is try and help people sort of don't wait till the crisis hits because it's actually much harder in many ways to change at rock bottom because you have less resource, less energy, less, less everything, less friends, fewer friends. Um, preventative wisdom is, 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 is much 
more effective, but sometimes crisis is the way. And in fact, crisis is important to understand. A crisis means in the Greek turning point. It's neither good nor bad. It's just a moment where you get to choose a different path. And therefore we can take any crisis and we can transform it. I use the word metabolize a lot in my work. Just like a cell metabolizes changes in its external environment, we as individuals can metabolize everything, whether it's divorce or illness or death, we can metabolize it into something of, of value um, for ourselves and for our community. And that is really, for me, where spiritual work um, hits the road, is when we are able to, in the moment, take gnarly, challenging situations and find not just peace with them, but a way to creatively engage with them so that we, we lead change. Yeah, I second all of that. I've been on the side where I needed to have caused some crisis in my life to, to wake up to a different path. And I've seen it in both in my journey and in so many's journey that there is that gentler path. And that's really beautiful that you kind of say, hey, it's easier to just kind of accept this and move forward and learn these things than it is to keep having, I call it like the door slammed in your face over and over again. So yes, though it doesn't seem that way at the time, often people hang on, cling on to the old way of thinking because it seems safer yes. than surrendering it and, and letting it go. And that's ultimately how I got into spirituality. Um, actually, and I should try and, you know, spirituality is one of those words that means nothing, everything, somewhere in between. Um, so I'll be more clear. I got into the practices that allow me to feel love within me myself um, and I mean a limitless love, not a kind of lusty love, a limitless sense of connection and love. Those practices, which we call spiritual, were that sense of love and that quality of love was the only thing I have found on my journey that is big enough to allow our trauma and our pain to melt into and dissolve. And so I don't believe that any psychology theory can truly heal someone unless it includes some pathway to that surrender of our pain and our suffering into something bigger. And it doesn't have to be a God, it doesn't have to be a power. It has to be, for me, the lived, embodied experience of love, like coursing through our arteries and our veins. And when you feel it and you can practice creating it inside you, nothing is more terror. There's no terror that's bigger than that. You can dissolve all that trauma, all the agony, all the bullying and the abuse and the neglect can be melted it's like love is the solvent for for our fear and our trauma beautifully said so beautiful and i wonder so you talk about um long suppressed activities things like shamanism ecstatic movement um non-rational indigenous philosophies what's your what's your vantage point on why these have been suppressed or not accepted in mainstream society as part of being a whole person well the the western rational model that started it with the Greeks, but then came into its element when we killed God uh, with the, the Enlightenment as opposed to uh, spiritual enlightenment. The Enlightenment of the 17th, 18th centuries, um, reason as in masculine sort of logical reason, um, and with it the scientific method became really the, the new kings, the new emperor, the new, the new deity. And in that moment, we then exported that reason to everywhere else and so we cast um philosophers thinkers 
cast anything that was ecstatic, um, that was um, on the edge of outside of reason, was cast as somehow primitive, um, naive, um, or just downright dumb. And um, that's what lasted quite a long time. And a lot of the drug laws of the 50s, 60s, 70s were in the same vein. Um, Stan Groff, the transpersonal theorist and, and breathwork um, master, um, talks about um, in his, one of his books that almost every indigenous culture has got a practice for getting out of your head, for being in ecstatic experience, being no longer a confined little ego but spinning or dancing or turning or yelling or drumming our way out of our limitations. But in the West, we don't have any anymore, really, because um, we, we've made them look really just stupid and, and, and maybe even evil. You know, the Christian idea of, of d demonic possession, you know, to an to a old-fashioned Christian, a Turkish um, roomy uh, adept who's spinning around with a grin on their face, a dervish, um, is probably possessed by, you know, a false god. So we sort of cut all these amazing experiences out. out and then when we colonialized, colonized the world, we then suppressed indigenous thinking, indigenous healing, indigenous uh, substances, but also just indigenous um, philosophy. So I, I lived for a year in Africa, and I mean rural Africa, not not sexy Cape Town, um, super <laughs> rural Africa. And um, it took me a good six months to get myself out of this sort of Anglo-Saxon um, arrogance. So people turning up late, um, trains not working, just nothing really working, you know, it's a common issue in some of these countries. But we, love, we, made, we like to think that's wrong because it's not reasonable and rational and efficient, but they, they're happier, you know, they're holding hands on the way to a meeting. They might be late, but they're feeling super connected and, and loving and, and, and safe and, and, and stuff. So it's, uh, I'm not saying we should all be late for our meetings and give up any sense of Western logic, but it, it's good to have a balance. And I think these are kind of bursting through with five rhythms, with, with ecstatic experiencing, with shamanic um, groups all over uh, the world. Um, and for me, the great breakthrough of the ecstatic into everyday life was the, the clubbing scene, the raving scene, uh, the festival scene of Burning Man, of, of, of dance music. Um, and that was a big eruption of the ecstatic back into a very Reaganite, Thatcherite world that was just all about the money. And um, it's been very influential in my life. Really beautiful. Why why did you write the book now? I mean, obviously this is your life story, but what made you sit down and tell it at this point? It's a great, great question. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It was because it came in a big download. Ah, and yeah. I have decided to honor those as the, vo the voice of the universe within me. Um, I was preparing another book, um, which I've actually just got back to writing, which is great, um, a leadership book. Um, and then I was talking to this very religious person, um, bizarrely in the same synagogue where I'd denounced God. And um, he was a very religious Jewish soldier, like a colonel in the special forces. And he said to me, so what do you do? I said, well, you know, I kind of like a philosopher, spiritual teacher, leadership kind of guy. Um, you know, I said like, I'm like a rabbi without a religion. He just could not get his head around the possibility that you could be profoundly mystical and profoundly guided by love 
Like my ethics are absolutely, I spend a lot of time clearing out any ego in my ethics so that I'm really acting with as much integrity as I can bring in my human life, in every area of my life. Um, way more than most religious people. And he was like, well, how can you be spiritual but not have a God? You know, how can you be such a devotee and so devotional in your life? And so I tried to explain a little bit and suddenly I went, got this huge download, which is, wow, this is something people need to know. Um, and in fact, one of the cheeky subtitles of the book was going to be um, Spiritual Atheist, um, The Bible for the Spiritual, Not Religious. <laughs> and um, all the chapters came to me in, within, I actually got an Uber, Uber ride home and all the chapters came to me within 20 minutes and they didn't change apart from adding one to the whole two year writing process. And that's never happened to me. You know, usually I'm changing things all the time. And um, so that's the real reason it's just a download. I didn't want to write about myself. I didn't want to write a memoir. It's not something I'd ever thought about doing it as a, as a sort of neurotic and self-effacing Jew, uh, Jew, British Jew. So writing about yourself seemed a preposterous thing to do. Um, but I realized as I put in the front of the book that my life's journey and what I've learned in each different part of my life, whether it was in the advertising industry, in the technology industry, in philosophy and science, almost serves as a kind of journey through the modern world and the theories that underpin it. And so I realized that by using my life, I could not just explore my big learnings and show people how to have these different seemingly contradictory things, but I could also show people, um, use it as a way to hook together a kind of exploration of the modern world. So when the chapter is on, on, on ecstatic experience and, and shamanic substances, um, that, that becomes the chapter about my, my experiences dancing and, and partying and, and um, research on, on shamanic substances, LSD, et cetera. So it's just, it just all seemed to work. And it, and it was quite a labor of love and a, quite a challenge to write because there were days when I was just like, God, I don't want to write about myself. It's, you know, it's, very, it's much easier to write in a kind of non-personal way, just a book of, of self-help. Here's some things you should know um, from an expert. It's much more vulnerable and challenging to write truly from yourself and neither be too, what I learned from writing is I, it didn't work to be too um, self-effacing and, and not strong enough, but also you don't want to be full of, of hubris and, and arrogance. So finding the balance between, um, as one teacher says, taking up enough space, but not taking up too much space is one of life's great challenges anyway. And this book really, really demanded from me to find a balance between humility and hubris. Really beautiful. I, um, I launched a book in September and it has a lot of my story too. And I've shared before on the show, I sat on it for a while because it took, <laughs> it, it taught me and it was a process for me to right. share it. It's one thing to sit by yourself writing it, that's hard enough. But then when it's going to be shared with other people, like your deepest, darkest experiences and thoughts and things, it's, it is, it's really challenging to, you know, to espouse from the mountaintop is somewhat easier than to really go into life experience. And that's why I just admire it every time I open a book and, and it's not all the time, right? Cause not everybody 
is willing exactly. to write that stuff. But when I opened your book, I'm like, oh, I love it. So much courage. And I think that's ultimately what inspires people. I think it's very powerful. Um, we relate to, to people's lives and stories. And there's always something, even if we have such a different story, that we can take from that in our own life. And so thank you for being courageous. <laughs> well, actually, on that, I actually got quite a lot of flack from some reviewers. Um, so reviewers are a very specific breed of people, right? So they're people who review books. I don't know whether they write or want to write, but they're tough, tough audience. Yeah. And because in the book, I do talk about going to Cambridge and I do talk about success as a young entrepreneur. But that's part of my journey. I know it's not the success that, I thought it was at the time, so I'm very aware of that. But in the narrative, you know, at the time it was a big deal for me. And I think it really triggered a, a couple of reviewers um, uh, who were quite personally, you know, attacking. Um, I've also had loads of, um, uh, what do you call them, trolls, online trolls. My first experience of being trolled. And it's astonishing how much spare time people have um, to be able to do trolling at all because uh, I wouldn't even have the time to do it. I'm too busy being a dad, being a, being just doing stuff in the world. And just the amount of ex excess hatred and, and disgust there is in the world is quite something. You know, people bothering to write me emails um, about I'm going to go to hell. You know, long emails, not just short emails, long emails through my website saying, you know, you're basically going to burn in hell because you don't believe in God. I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah, I mean, but this, is why, this is why I deeply admire courage, because this is the, these are the things that hide in the shadows, mm. right? Because no one wants to talk about these things or talk honestly and openly because right. of that, right? Because people have such strong opinions and strong constructs around mm. some of the topics that we have in the world. And, and it really, we break those constructs down or we see them in a new way or with a different perspective because yes. people step up and say, I'm going to do this, even though I know some, it's going to trigger some people. And, and it's, you know, it's a positive thing because we only learn by having our perspective change through experience. And sometimes one word somebody writes or a paragraph or a chapter just opens a door to something new for somebody else. And I know that's what right. you're about with transformational work. Um, and that's why I say just congratulations on the courage because <laughs> it's, it's a thing, right? And it so is. where, where would people find you, more about you, your book, all that stuff? So um, the book is um, on Amazon, probably the best place. Uh, Barnes and Noble, you can order it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and um, yeah, it's really got a lot in it. People think it's quite, it's quite under, it's quite unassuming, and then it packs an enormous amount of philosophy and thinking and, and stuff. It's, I'm actually quite proud of it now. Then it's fully out in the world. Um, and me, uh, I mean, it's the easiest thing is come to the website because from there you can go into social. I write quite a lot on Medium now. That's my new sort of place to, to write uh, my, some of my ongoing thoughts, particularly about leadership and transformational and conscious business. Um, I do stuff all over the world. Get me involved in your work and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So just go switchonnow.com. And one thing I should add is on the front page, you can click a little button called Inspiration. And there are loads of free things to download, like all, all sorts. Meditations I made for the BBC, um, leadership maps, um, cha chapters of books, all sorts of things. Um, and uh, yeah, I try and balance 
between giving a lot of things away for free and having a livelihood, uh, being able to look after my two little boys. Oh, I love that. That's so beautiful. So we're going to end the, uh, the session with four questions that I ask all my guests. It's based on a process that I take people through called the anatomy of transformation. And the first pillar in that process is truth. And I believe that when we have a really deep truth that we come across in our life in whatever way we come across it, that, that it starts something in motion, that there's a momentum to that. And so what is one powerful truth that you've come across in your life? Mm. So um, a huge truth that's coming into my moment right now is the power and the dignity of being truly vulnerable and how strong it makes us in a, way that anger and being clever and being funny can't um and being truly vulnerable and and i mean both both being open but also being vulnerable as in being in process all the time and not being afraid to be clearly learning whilst also knowing that you can be a ninja in some things and you can still be always learning and show that to people and they most won't think less of you for not pretending that you've got everything sorted in every area of your life. Mm, that is beautiful. The second pillar, it comes right on the tail of that. It's called release. So when you, as you're starting to embody that truth, what is the programming? What are the belief sets? What are the patterns? What are the people? What are the experiences that you're kind of releasing as you step into this new level of vulnerability? Mm, we're totally aligned, by the way, in our transformational process. You always have to do the release before you get the win. Um, and it's one of the great tragedy comedies of life. <laughs> you have yeah. to give up stuff before we get the new cool thing. Um, so for me to be vulnerable um, has me meant letting go of covering up my fear with anger, sort of masculine rage. Uh, I wouldn't say I've fully cooked that, that repatterning, but it's it's definitely a big thing that I'm very aware of. Um, not having to be the smartest guy in the room and to have everything cracked um, has been also a liberation, actually. It's exhausting having to be the smartest guy in the room all the time. So it's been great to not be. Um, and what else? Um, I think to trust people that, that, that they are doing the best they can with what they've got. And um, it may not be the way you would do it, but it's it's their way and, and it's good. And you can learn from that. And that stops me being controlling, which then you can't be vulnerable and be controlling there. That's an impossible equation. Mm, those are some those are some powerful releases. The third pillar is experience. And really, this is where our energy, I believe, uh, shifts, our frequency shifts as we start to release this stuff and step into what I call a little portal of new mm -hmm. opportunities, new experiences, new things Definitely. that can then, you know, attract into your field. So as you're going through this, and thank you for sharing something you're, you're going through right now, it's so powerful. <laughs> um, what, what new is moving in for you? How is your experience changing? Oh, God, it's happening everywhere at the moment. It's one of the things I, I see amazed me about life is how much ceaseless transformation is available. Because just as we feel like we've cracked something, then, you know, we get older, we've like got a whole age thing. I mean, actually, I'm, I'm going to be 45 in four days. So real mid-age, middle age. And I still think of myself as a young hipster 
living in London or uh, Culver City where I used to live. And so that's something that is really an, a deep experiential shift is, is owning my wisdom, what my wife calls my wisdom years in the 40s, and not being afraid of that um, and enjoying some level of wisdom and mastery in my life whilst still holding on to the fact that I can do fun things and I can buy fun clothes and I can have edgy edgy designed, I don't know, bathrooms, whatever. Um, I can still be a hipster and a hippie all at the same time and be 45 and be proud. Oh, I love that. I love that. And happy birthday, by the way. Thank you. Um, and the fourth pillar is a line. And that is, to me, really the important thing that oftentimes we don't always think about. But what holds us in a new frequency? What is keeps us in alignment? What are the practices, the people, the experiences that we return to um, to hold this new experience of life? So what is a practice that you do to stay in alignment? Oh, I mean, just a simple one, but it's, you know, 5,000 years of, of perfected as a hack, as a, as a wisdom hack, transformational hack, is... Every time I'm about to do a podcast or an interview or do a keynote, which is, you know, I do a lot of keynotes or go to a new business meeting or deliver a leadership workshop or deliver any workshop, um, I always devote the entire experience that comes through me to the universe back from me, from me as a little part of the universe to the whole. Um, and I always ask to be guided to say whatever needs to be said in this moment that's not on my agenda. It may not be best for my marketing um, but it serves whatever is seeking to emerge in that moment from that experience. Whoever's in pain, here's what I say, whatever I need to say for the people who are in pain or people who need something. So that devotional hack, which is uh, often called back to yoga, um, giving back everything in love has been a profound hack for me and a profound practice, um, not to be underestimated, um, but it takes a lot of, work i think before you can do it on a on a on a moment by you know one minute before a talk basis because i can I have to bring myself fully into state into absolute enlightened conscious love and then i can say okay whatever i say please make it serve whoever needs that support in that moment um and to, and to let go and to, and to truly give up my agenda and the world is still run by agendas you know social media shares and blah blah and whatever book sales so uh, that's the key. Oh, that's powerful. That's something that that's really cool because that's something that people can start thinking about. So I know doing anything, especially public speaking and things of that nature, um, moving yourself aside, right, to let what wants to be shared come through you mm. is really great about getting out of your way, right? Like that, exactly. voice, that voice in your head that will keep talking at you, especially when you're going to stand in front of 500 people, right, or yeah. a room full of people. So thank you for sharing that hack and thank you for sharing your wisdom. You certainly have a lot of it and I am grateful for this time that we've spent together and everything that you've shared with everybody. Oh, thank you. Great to be here. I'm Shauna Lee, and you've been listening to the Soul Frequency Show podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Soul Frequency. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. Join me next week for more powerful awakenings and positive vibes.